really, because about a week after they arrived, um, Jonathan's brother suddenly died of a heart attack. Uh, and uh, so they decided to go back this weekend to be with their family and to be a means of comfort to them. So uh, I think we should pray for Jonathan and the family right now, because I'm sure that the, they want to be a blessing to their family at this weekend, which will be rather a sad one for, for their family members. And then I want to include in this prayer, if you don't mind, it's a very personal request. Now, my wife Graciela is going off to Florida tomorrow morning. She's going to be there for several weeks. I don't know quite what I'm going to do without her. But I'll include that in my prayer, I think. But uh, so I'm sure that uh, she would value our prayer as she goes off tomorrow uh, to see her sisters and her now very aged mother. Uh, so uh, let's just have a word of prayer together before we look into the word of God together. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we're so privileged to be able to bring all of our needs and our situations to you day by day. We thank you, Lord, that that we can trust you to help us and to lead us and to, and to bless us, no matter what the situations may be day by day. We want to bring Jonathan, Susanna, uh, and, the, and uh, Nathaniel and Hope to, to you this morning. This weekend, Lord, they're going to be with their family, seeking to be a means of blessing and comfort to them. Pray, Lord, that you'll help them. Pray, Lord, that something of your grace and your love and your mercy will be transmitted through your servants. Uh, and uh, give them grace, Lord, as they seek to be a help to their family members. And Lord, to, to, I just want to bring to you uh, Graciela, she travels tomorrow. You know, Lord, she's a little bit nervous. Uh, but Lord, uh, your hand will be upon her. Pray that she'll make her a blessing too, there with her family there in Florida, in Orlando, these next few weeks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, as we come, in, come to your word together, we pray that you'll help us by your spirit to to learn something of importance for our lives this morning. Pray, Lord, that you'll open up our hearts and uh, give us the grace to receive all that you want to say to us. Because we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, those of you who've been with us for some little while uh, may remember 18 months, maybe two, two years ago, uh, there was an older couple that came to visit us one Sunday morning, and they said that they were here because, I think it was some 54 years beforehand, they had been married in this church. Does anybody remember the occasion? No, of course you don't. You, you, uh, uh, well, I remember they sat over there, just where Peter is right now, he and his wife. Uh, uh, and uh, when it was announced from the pulpit, I thought to myself, I should know them. If they got married here 54 years ago, and I've been in this church, can you believe it, for 70 years? Uh, no, Leon saying, uh-uh. <laughs> I, I first came to this church just about 70 years ago. I'll, I won't go into all the details now because I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach this morning. I'm not going to talk about myself, but I'm going to preach this morning, believe it or not. But... Um, so I thought to myself, when it was announced from the pulpit, I must know this couple. So after the service, I went over and I had a chat with them. They didn't recognize me and I didn't recognize them until we got into conversation. And then we realized that we were, had been teenagers together in this church all those years previously. Now, the couple was my good friends, Jeff and Kath Cameron. Now, Kath's mother was a, a lovely Scottish woman. Just like Dot, you know, lovely. <laughs> yeah, in fact, she, was, she was quite similar, quite short. And this lovely Glaswegian Scottish woman, she was quite rotund and quite short. Her name was Mrs. Mrs. Elizabeth Gilders. That was her name, Elizabeth Gilders. And uh, she was a lovely soul. Oh, she was the life and soul of any party. She was a deeply spiritual woman. And, and she had one or two well-known expressions she used to use. 
And one of them was, we need to be overcomers. That was one of our expressions. Let's be overcomers, she would say. Now, it stuck with me all these years because I, I haven't heard that expression very often. Let's be overcomers. Now, what did she mean by that? Well, I suppose if we wanted to be just a little bit more biblical, we'd say we, we should be uh, more, than, more than conquerors, is the expression that the Apostle Paul uses writing to the Romans, Romans chapter 8. Uh, more than conquerors. She used to say, let's be overcomers. Let's be overcomers. I wonder what you think she meant, and I wonder what you think the Apostle Paul meant when he said, let's be uh, more than conquerors. I've been thinking a lot recently about what it means to live as a Christian in the kind of society that surrounds us these days. Some people think that times are getting worse. I don't think they are. I don't think times have ever been good in a world that doesn't know and understand the Christian gospel. If people don't know God, if they have no experience of Jesus Christ, life is never good. It's not. And it doesn't matter how much money people have in their bank, it doesn't matter what else they may have of this world's goods. If God is not in their lives, if Jesus Christ is not the centre of their being, life is v it's never any good. I look out, look out upon our, our present world, and I see a world in desperate need, in desperate need of, of the grace and goodness and love of God. I started thinking to myself, well, if that's the life that, that surrounds us these days, if that's the world that surrounds us, is it any different from what it was in the first century? when Paul and Peter and the other apostles were preaching the gospel. Is it any different, really? And I think the answer is, no, it isn't. You know, when, uh, when the apostle Paul writes to the church in, in Philippi, he's, uh, he describes the world in which he was living at that time in pretty stark terms. In Philippians chapter 2, he says... Uh, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault. Now listen to this. In a crooked and depraved generation. Now that's saying things in pretty stark terms. He's saying that we have to live as Christians in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation. The Apostle Peter, at the end of his incredible sermon on the day of Pentecost says something well I, I suppose quite similar really he says he says uh, with, with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them save yourselves from this corrupt generation so I think between these two apostles we get a picture of a pretty awful world in which they were living it was a crooked a depraved a corrupt generation. You know, there are people who think that, oh, well, it must have been much easier in those days for the apostles. I mean, just think how quickly the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul and the other apostles were able to evangelize in the whole of that Mediterranean region. And they founded churches, and wow, it must have been much easier. Don't you believe it? Uh-uh. The Greco-Roman culture of those times was every bit as corrupt, as depraved, and as perverse as the situation which surrounds us today in the 21st century. You see, life without Jesus Christ is awful. It's terrible. No matter which era of history we happen to be living in. It's a, it's a pretty awful situation when you think that uh, God created this human race for a purpose. We were created in order to reflect something of the grace and goodness and love and beauty of our Creator.
And just think of the awful situation which surrounds us in these days. We're surrounded by a world which is daily sinking into moral oblivion. And uh, I've been asking myself, well, what does it mean for Christians in the 21st century to live for Jesus Christ? Is it any different from what it was in the first century? No, 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 it isn't. It's exactly the same. If you study church history, and because I had the privilege of, of teaching it for a number of years, you learn very, one, one very important fact. That it doesn't matter which period of, of history you take, men and women without Christ in their hearts are just as far from God and their life is just as wretched and as miserable as in, it, as in any other period of history. It doesn't matter which period of history you take, life is pretty awful when men and women turn their backs upon the Christian message. Now, I want to share a few thoughts about what it could mean for us as Christians in the 21st century to seek to share the message of Jesus and to live out this gospel in ways that can be a blessing both to ourselves and to others. I want to read some verses from 2 Thessalonians, uh, and I'll explain why I've chosen this passage in a moment, but uh, 2 Thessalonians, and we'll read from chapter 2, verse 13, through to chapter 3 and verse 5. 2 Thessalonians. Has it come up? Oh, good. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Thessalonica. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm, and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you, And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing, and will continue to do. Sorry, I think I've lost my... Oh, here we are. Yes, verse 4, sorry. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing, and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. (coughs) So what does it mean to be an overcomer? What does it mean to live that life which glorifies God and is a blessing to others in the 21st century? Well, now... These two short letters that Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica (coughs) give us some idea of how to live in this kind of situation. As we've been saying, it doesn't matter which period of history you you choose, whether it's the first century or the 21st century, man without God is is in exactly the same desperate need and society goes from bad to worse. So... How can we learn to live in this situation? Do we sometimes find it very difficult? Do we struggle? Do we find that sometimes our faith flags and we, and somehow we don't, we're not always winning the battles? Do we sometimes find that, that we need strength and encouragement and, and grace from somewhere? Now, 
Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica along these lines, giving these kind of tips, if you like, helps on the road, as it were. It's as if he's writing to these people as, as fellow pilgrims. We're all on the same road. We're going in, in the same direction, and we need help. And he writes to the Thessalonians, especially along these lines, because he knows that they're going through very tough times. If you read the first letter and the first chapter of Second Thessalonians, you'll find that they were being persecuted, they were, they were having a tough time, uh, and let's be honest, uh, for people who know and love and serve Jesus Christ, this world is no friend of theirs. Uh -oh. And I think one of the problems is that we try to to keep one foot in the world and, and the other foot in, in the Christian church and somehow it, it doesn't work that way. So we have to learn. We have to learn that it's either all or nothing. Uh, if you want to be a Christian in the 21st century and serve God and be a blessing to others, you need to take your Christian discipleship very, very seriously. Okay, now, I just want to... Uh, share a few thoughts from these verses that we read together. And uh, they're very simple thoughts. I mean, they have to be simple because that's the way I am, you know. Yeah, I don't know why my, my parents didn't call me Simon, you know. Uh, yeah, sorry, simple Simon. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, just four very simple thoughts about living for Jesus Christ in the 21st century, being overcomers. Huh? Being overcomers, winning the battles, living for Jesus in a, in a world that doesn't love him, that has no time for his word or his gospel. So four very simple thoughts. First of all, Paul says here, but we ought always to thank God for you brothers loved by the Lord. Now, Paul here is not saying thank you to the Lord for, for their Christian testimony. He's already done that. If you read chapter 1, you'll find that Paul gives thanks to God for the, for the love and the hope and the, and, the, and the grace that is being manifested in the lives of these Thessalonian Christians. He's already said that. Yeah, he's thanking God for, the, for their testimony. Here, he's not, he's not thanking God for their personal lives. He's thanking God for the salvation that they've received. He says, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So Paul here is saying, we thank God for your salvation. We thank God that he's, he's taken you out of this present evil world and he's done something with you. He's molding you. He's, he's working out his purposes through you. It's a... Uh, it's very interesting, isn't it, that um, sometimes the Christian life, Christian discipleship becomes a very humdrum thing. You know, it should never be humdrum. And I, sometimes I have, I have to pull myself up, as, as it were, by my shoe straps. And I say, just a moment, just a moment. My Christian life shouldn't be this humdrum, you know. You know, it should be, you know, that every morning you... You jump out of bed and you say, Hallelujah, I'm a child of God. Huh? Now, I have to be honest and say that uh, as the years have gone by, I don't jump out of bed with quite the same enthusiasm as I used to. But, uh, but the fact is, of course, that our Christian experience should be something vital, real to us. And Paul is saying to these Thessalonian Christians, we thank God for your salvation. It has two aspects, of course. He says here that they were saved through, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Because sanctify simply means to set apart. So what Paul is saying is, God by His Spirit has set you apart from this present evil and depraved world in which you live. You're different people now. You're new people. You've been renewed by the Spirit of God. God has set His hand upon you. When you wake up in the morning, is that what you feel? No, I have to be honest and say, I don't always feel like that. But maybe I ought to. Huh? But then you see, there's the other aspect. If you, if, if you like, the, first of all, there's the objective. God, by his spirit, has worked in your heart and set you apart for God's kingdom. But then he says, uh, 
and through belief in the truth. That's the subjective aspect. God, by his spirit, touches my heart. He, he leads me to understand the gospel message, and then, and then I respond. Belief in the truth. Of course, the problem is that in our modern society, the, many of our young people in our schools and, and universities are being told that there's no such thing as, as absolute truth. You can believe what you like. Yeah. For many of our academics, there's no such thing as, as truth. I'm reminded of these words uh, that we quote so often, don't we, at the end of, uh, of the book of, of Judges. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Well, everyone did as he saw fit. Or as, or as I think the old authorized version puts it, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the world in which we live. That's the world in which we live. Because there's no such thing as truth. Don't believe all that rubbish. But here Paul gives thanks to God for the salvation that these Thessalonians had received. If you feel down in the dumps, you feel somehow you're losing out, your faith is flagging, lift your hand up to, up to heaven and say, thank you, Lord, for my so great salvation. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus died on that cross. He bore my sins in his own body on the tree. Thank you, Lord. I want to thank you for my salvation. In the midst of difficulty and, uh, and often struggles, oh, it's such a wonderful thing to think, oh, I'm actually saved by the grace of God. I'm a child of God. I have to move on quickly. So we should always thank God. Thank God for, for our salvation. That will get you through so many struggles, knowing that you're a child of God, bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But secondly, Paul says here we should stand firm. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. It's, uh, it's so important these days to know who you're receiving your, your ideas from. <clears throat> and Paul says here, so then brothers, stand firm, hold to the teachings we passed on to you. When he writes to Timothy, he says something rather similar, where he says, uh, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. So what Paul is saying here, both to the Thessalonians and to Timothy as an individual, he's saying, make sure that the people that you learn things from are trustworthy. Make sure that you've, you, you learn things from people who really know God, know his truth, and are able to share it with you. Be very careful who you receive in inverted commas, truth from. Because truth means all sorts of things to, to all sorts of different people. Yeah, you, you may get people coming around knocking on your doors and offering you all sorts of ideas. Be very careful from whom you receive your teaching. And Paul says here, you know full well that, uh, that we are people who can be trusted. Uh, I can give thanks to, oh my goodness me, I think of all the people I've known over the years who have been my mentors, who've helped me to understand God's truth. Men and women of, of godly character who knew, the word of, who knew the word of God and were able to share it with me. I give thanks to God for so many. Because one of them was that dear soul I mentioned earlier, uh, Mrs. Elizabeth Gilders. What a lovely soul she was. She, I, have, uh, I have books on my bookshelf that she gave me as, as birthday presents. Uh-huh. Yep. I have a Cruden's Concordance that she gave me. I have, a, I have a, an interlinear Greek and uh, an English New Testament that she gave me. Oh, she, uh, Mrs. Elizabeth Gilders. What a lovely soul she was. Just one of so many that God used to bless me. I, they were people I could trust. I knew they weren't going to 
tell me lies. They weren't going to teach me things that, that were of no value. Oh, I can think of so many. I remember the very first pastor of this church that I knew. To give him his full name. And uh, he, was the, he was the Reverend Herbert John Lyons Hunter. Uh, good name for a preacher, that. Herbert John Lyons Hunter. A big, raucous Irishman. My goodness me. I tell you. He was a man of, of vision. Uh, he taught me to love the word of God too. You know. Another great man of God who was used so much to teach so many of us was, uh, was the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones who pastored Westminster Chapel in London for 30 years. Oh, he... I used to sit there on a Sunday morning basking in his marvellous Bible expositions. And others too, my goodness me. I think of Dr. Ernest Kevin, who was principal of the Bible college where I studied. I remember him on one occasion here in the old pulpit that we used to have here on a, in a Sunday school anniversary. Oh, dear me. Yeah. He was a great academic, but he could teach children the basic truths of the Christian message in a way that made these children sit up and take notice. These were men and women that I could trust. Uh, be careful who you receive your, your so-called truth from. Uh, oh, we must move on so quickly. Oh, I could preach a dozen sermons on this one verse. Oh, Always thank God for your salvation. Stand firm in the truths that you've been taught by people who were worthy of being followed and understood. And then thirdly, Paul says here, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Now, something else which will keep us strong in times of, of difficulty and, and temptation and struggles uh, is being encouraged. Now, how, how are we encouraged normally? What means does God normally use to encourage us when we're going through difficult times and struggles? Well, I, he uses fellow Christians. He uses fellow Christians. Um, the Apostle Paul, for example, when he writes in his first letter to the Thessalonians, he says, um, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. And then a bit farther down he says, uh, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant, pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you all. And there are a number of passages in the New Testament where it's obvious that God has used fellow Christians to encourage some of his servants who are, who are going through tough times. Uh, I've got one or two more verses here. For example, uh, in in Acts chapter 14, uh, Acts chapter 14 and verse 22 says, uh, They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And we could go through a whole list of New Testament verses where it's obvious that the means that God uses more often than not to encourage us when we're going through tough times is the testimony and ministry of fellow Christians. Now, this brings me to another point which I've mentioned from this pulpit on more than one occasion. I get a little bit uptight, if I can use that term, when I think of so many Christians who absent themselves very easily from, from public worship, and from fellowship with fellow, with fellow Christians. Uh, if you're not here, first of all, of course, obviously, 
listening to God's word, but also sharing fellowship, you're not likely to live a very encouraging Christian life. You're going to feel discouraged. You see, God has put us in families for, that, for the purpose of, of encouraging each other. Oh, I think of all the people down through the years who've been a tremendous encouragement to me. And they haven't all been academics or, or, or even preachers. Ordinary, simple Christian folk who loved the Lord and their life was a testimony to me. So you make sure you're here, unless it's for some purpose or some reason that, uh, that you can't avoid. This is the place you should be on a Sunday morning. And enjoy fellowship with your fellow Christians. If you don't meet with each other very often, how can you be an encouragement to each other? Now, of course, there are occasions when, unfortunately, Christians do have to be by themselves. Uh, especially in those parts of the world where the Christian church is not very developed yet, where it's just beginning, maybe. There, are, there aren't too many Christians around. But that should be the exception and not the rule. I love to see churches filled, people meeting together, worshipping the Lord and enjoying each other's company and being an encouragement to one another. Because that's how it should be. That's how it should be. So there we are. Well, very quickly, we should always thank God for our salvation in the midst of trials and difficulties. We should stand firm upon the truths that have been passed on to us, the truths of God's word. We are to be encouraged in the Lord as we meet together and share Christian fellowship. And then, finally, just a, a few thoughts about these opening verses of chapter 3 here. We should pray for God's servants. Now, oh, I, I can think of so many people who, who over the years have... Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks, thanks, Rob. Um, over the years, who've been such a blessing to me because I know they've been praying for me. Let me just share this, this uh, personal story. Um, when we were home on furlough for a number of years, for a number of months, I should say, uh, quite a few years ago now, I think we were home for about 15 months, a longer period than usual, and as a result, um, uh, it was during the period of, of, of uh, Peter Coggins' pastorate here. Uh, and I was asked as a result, because we were home for a longer period, to officially be the assistant minister here. And, um, and it just, just so happened that um, Peter was on sabbatical. He had, a few, I think he had three months um, sabbatical. He, he did some extra study. And so uh, during that time, I had to obviously uh, take hold of the reins, as it were. And during that time, one dear soul, her name was, was Gladys Ince. Gladys Ince. She went to be with the Lord. She died. Now, I knew her as a young, when I was a young person in the church. And when I, I left for Colombia, she, oh, she, she told me that she was going to pray for me. And every so often when I was out there, she would write me a letter and assure me that she was praying for me. Oh, can you imagine the marvel? It, it, it was a delight just to receive these very simple little letters while I was out there. And then, uh, of course, we came home for this longer period. And, uh, and I, I think she was living, I'm pretty certain she was living, because uh, it's quite a few years ago now, she was living at the Holmesdale Complex, of course, where we are now living. Uh, and, she, and the Lord took her to be home with himself. And uh, so I was asked to conduct this funeral service. I can assure you, it was the, one of the most moving experiences of my life to be able to publicly say to the folk present that this dear soul had prayed for me over all the years I'd been there in South America. Oh, the, it was a tremendously emotional experience. I had the privilege of talking to this congregation about the life of this dear soul, very, a very, uh, a very introverted, she, she wasn't a, an extrovert at all, very quietly spoken, oh, but she loved the Lord, 
and she prayed for God's servants. Now Paul says here, finally brothers, pray for us. Now we're all in the same boat in a sense. We're all struggling against the same opposition. Oh yeah, not one of us should ever feel that our, our job is either any, any bigger, any worse, or any easier than anybody else's. We're all in the same boat. We're fighting against a tremendous uh, enemy who will, who's do, doing his best to limit the, the testimony and ministry of God's servants. So we need to pray for each other. We need to pray for each other. He, prays, he asks prayer for two specific things. First of all, he says, for the rapid spread of the gospel. You know, one thing that, I felt that I've noticed too, of course, this is not, not, not only very biblical, this thought, but uh, it, it shows itself in, in church history. That very often, when Christians are going through times of persecution and, and difficulty, and there's opposition to the gospel, that is very often when God, in his mercy and his grace, extends his kingdom. Yeah, it, that happens. You can only th we can think of China, for example, which has at least well over 100 million Christians now. And all sorts of places which have had all difficulty, places in Africa, places in Latin America that I've known. And, uh, and in times of difficulty, when the devil is doing his best to limit the effects of the gospel, that's very often when God in his mercy works in most powerful ways. I often mention, I've used this illustration before, uh, at the beginning of the 18th century here in Britain. It was, I think one, uh, one writer described life here in, here in London, for example, as a cesspool. Huh? It was a cesspool of filth and immorality. And then God in his mercy, he raises up John Wesley and George Whitfield and other great preachers and, and thousands, hundreds of thousands are brought to Christ. Huh? So I always say, no, no, yeah, life may seem a bit, you know, as if we're fighting with our backs to the wall. Ah, but God has things under control. He knows where he's going and what he's doing. So Paul says, pray for us. Yes, times are difficult, times are tough. The devil is, doing, is working overtime. Ah, but we serve a mighty God. So pray for us, he says. Pray for us. For the rapid spread of the gospel. And then he says, pray for deliverance for, from e wicked and evil men. Pray for deliverance from wicked and evil men. Now we know all about wicked and evil men in our time, don't we? We don't have to look very far to find men and women who are doing their best to cause all sorts of mayhem and, 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 and upset in our, in our society. Sometimes, you know, I mean, I, I've got rather tired. My wife sometimes says, what? If I'm, if I'm watching some sport on the television, for example, uh, she says, why, why can't we watch the, t the, the news program? Quite frankly, well, and I usually do, otherwise we have a bit of a fight in the, a fight in the home there, but... but but the fact is that uh, I've got tired of listening to the news because it's all the same. It's wretchedness. It's a miserable existence. Man trying to live his life without God and making a desperate mess of it. That's, that's our world. Our world without God, our world without Jesus in the center is a world which is in a desperate state. Yeah, we know all about wicked and evil men and women. <laughs> In our, in our times. So let's pray. Let's pray for God's servants. Pray for, let's pray for Jonathan. He's still only beginning, you know. A year isn't, long, isn't very long. He still needs our, our prayers. He needs our strength. He needs our encouragement. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are, uh, let me just finish with this thought. There are some people who think that the pastoral ministry is a soft touch. Oh, you know. Maybe, well, no, uh, at least when I was younger, we used to have two services on a Sunday. Now it's only one. Oh, so he only has to preach once anyway. And uh, oh, he may, he may do some kind of activity during the week, but the rest of the time he can put his, put his feet up and watch Spurs on television or whatever. I don't know. Let me assure you that the pastoral ministry is one of the toughest jobs that a man could ever take upon himself. It is tough. I know from experience. 
Oh, it's a glorious ministry, serving Jesus. But there's nothing soft about it. So you pray for your pastor. Pray for those who are teaching our children. Pray for the Sunday school teachers. Pray for the youth leaders. Pray for those who have ministry upon their shoulders. Oh, my goodness me, so much more I could say, but we must carry on. We're going to be sharing the Lord's Supper together. So, in these violent and critical and perverse times in which we live, when, as Jesus puts it, men's hearts are failing them for fear. Jesus said that would happen before he came again for the second, on the second occasion. So, in these times, we need to be overcomers, overcomers. Praise God every day. Give thanks for your so great salvation. Ah, that's right. And then stand firm upon the great truths that you've been taught. Don't allow yourself to be deceived by, by false teaching or heresy or whatever else. Know, know your Bible. Study it. Be in the place where the Bible is taught. And then encourage each other. Let's be strong together. You know, the bond of love and friendship and fellowship oh, is so vital in this great battle against all the forces of evil. And then let's pray for God's servants. Pray for each other. Pray for your pastor. Pray for, your, for all those who in one way or another are involved in the, in the ministry of the gospel in these desperately needy days. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to praise you and bless you for, oh, for the wonder of being your, your children in these days. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we don't deserve to be men and women, young people who, who have come to know Jesus. We don't deserve your salvation. We don't deserve the forgiveness of our sins. But thank you, Lord. I want to pray, Lord, for, for our lives this morning, for our, for our congregation, that this local church will or be a church of overcomers uh, that will be more than conquerors through, through him who loved us. Thank you, Lord. May this be so. Now, Lord, bless us as we come to your table, as we remember, oh God, the, the wonder of our salvation, all that Jesus did for us on that cross. Thank you, Lord. Bless us as we meet together around this sacred table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to go uh, straight on into sharing the Lord's Supper together. Um, and uh, well, the, the, the habit has been, or the custom has been in recent times, to have one single loaf. Well, uh, Jonathan didn't leave us a loaf and nobody else seems to have bought one. So, uh, but I think probably thinking of the problems of these times in which we live, uh, um, probably the individual pieces of of, of bread are probably more appropriate, but we're going to be uh, sharing together and remembering that Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Let's, uh, I'm going to read these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, did you want to sing first? No? Okay. We'll read these verses and then I gather they're going to be singing before, anyway. Before, okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul says these very well-known words, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whoever, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We invite all those who know and love Jesus to share with us in this sacred meal. It's a very simple meal. We remember that Jesus bore our sins in his own body, there on the cross. So if you know Jesus and you love Jesus, do feel free to, to share with us. If, if you have any problem about sharing with us for whatever reason, well, just feel free to let the bread and, and the cup pass by. 
Uh, and by the way, do come and share with us. If you have any problem, you, or you have questions that you want, or you want answered, well, we're here for this purpose too. So uh, do feel free to come and talk with us and pray with us after the service. Perhaps uh, if you'd like to sing something before we, yeah, do sing something. It could be okay. Okay, yeah. So, so while we sing, we'll be uh, passing out the the, uh, the bread and the wine. We'll pass out the bread first, and uh, can we have uh, three or four folk to uh, volunteer, please? Thank you. Let's give thanks for the bread first. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all that this bread, in all, in all its simplicity, but all that it means in, it, in its profundity. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that this bread speaks to us of a body that was broken for us. Help us, Lord, to respond with heartfelt worship and praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
Praise the Lord. We'll uh, receive the cup and, and retain it, and we'll all drink together, please. speaks to us of that precious blood that was shed for us. Thank you, Lord. Give us grateful hearts as we drink of this cup this morning. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So thank you, Lord, again for that precious blood that was shed for us. Thank you, Lord. We have no words to express the, the wonder of our salvation. Thank you, Lord. Help us, Lord, to live as overcomers in our present evil world. In Jesus' name we pray. <laughs> 